Hello, and welcome back to Stern Chats, a podcast that explores the untold stories of the NYU Stern community. My name is Mark Ryan. And I'm Heather Rosenkonowitz. And today we're thrilled to welcome Professor Julian Yeo to the studio. He teaches core accounting, financial statement analysis, modeling financial statements, managerial accounting, and accounting-based valuation. And I've been lucky enough to take all of them with him. <laughs> so not only is Professor Yeo a favorite accounting professor, but he's also Stern's own celebrity chef. So, Professor, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. So, how does it feel to be in the studio? Um, I've been told that I have the face for radio, so I'm glad <laughs> to be in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you definitely have the voice, and we'll maybe dig into some of your jazz escapades later on. <laughs> I'm on. Great. So, first of all, why don't you tell us how you ended up here at Stern? Gosh, how I ended up here at Stern. So, um, pretty much uh, my only career is academia. Uh, there's a shortage of faculty in Australia, so I was being paid to do my PhD full-time while teaching as a full-time faculty uh, at University of Melbourne. Now, after I finished my PhD, someone noticed my research, so hired me at Columbia as a junior faculty. That's 2004. Then I started pretty much keeping my appointment at both Columbia and NYU. Then until 2018, I, I went exclusive with NYU. It's been quite a number of years. Was your plan always to come to the U.S., or did you uh, want to stay in Australia? Ooh, I like that question. I was perfectly happy in Australia. Um, there's <laughs> <laughs> what's not to like. <laughs> um, and it's a very different system in which after you've been with the school for three years, you were pretty much tenured. So I was tenured at, at University of Melbourne, and life was pretty easy and I guess at the time, I was presented with an opportunity that I couldn't say no and had to try it out. And now, close to 20 years later, I'm still here. And what drew you to accounting as a subject matter? Hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, had, at the time, had a Master of Finance, and, and I found that the, there's a market for people that really know accounting and finance. Mm. So accounting is more as an input that we use for finance, but, but you know, there's so much nuances and things to be looked at. And I was at University of Western Australia, one of the, one of the most iconic uh, founder of accounting research, Philip Brown and, and, and Ray Balls, who is at University of Chicago. Uh, Philip Brown was at University of Western Australia. So he pretty much impacted my, I guess, the earlier work that I did and really, yeah, that's it. Because got my interest in exploring the relationship between accounting variables and stock prices. Talking about accounting a little bit, I know it's a core subject for pretty much every MBA. Which students do you think would benefit most from your class? Is that someone with a financial background, someone with no background at all, someone who came from like a big four accounting firm? I would always say that those who had no accounting exposure at all taking my class, um, you have no bad habits to unlearn. And I always love that. Um, core accounting, I think, is so crucial because it is a language of business that we need to learn how to speak. Uh, to me, you know, the entire system is built on one equation, so it's really a language class. But after core accounting, we, ha we only have limited sessions. So 
realistically, you know how to prepare simple statements after the after core counting. If you want to really be able to interpret and read statements, we really need that financial statement analysis class. Now, here's where I strongly encourage those who who sort of dislike numbers or averse to quant. Um, take a second look at financial statement analysis because, hey, you need to know how businesses work. And guess what? It's all disclosed in the footnote section if you know where to look for it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I can definitely uh, attest to the fact that I'm I'm taking that class right now and I feel much more comfortable with accounting terminology, uh, financial statements, understanding you know the different pieces of the puzzle and how they all come together. And one of my goals, I come from a non-traditional, non-business background, and one of my goals for the MBA was to become more comfortable speaking the financial language uh, to, you know, benefit my, my later career. So uh, the class is working. <laughs> Yay, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the other thing, too. I think at some point we always find ourselves in a, in a P&L role and, mm -hmm. and really, uh, well, knowing accounting is so crucial if you're managing profit and loss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I was one of those students that came in with no bad accounting habits. Uh, <laughs> you uh, do have strong influence at home. I do, yeah. So for background, my wife did the MSA program. And that oh. was my first exposure to Professor Yeo was she had him, uh, I forget which class it was. It might have been Modern modeling. Modeling financial modeling. statements, that's yeah. That's what it was. I'm so, taking that one also. Yeah, that's another <laughs> yes. good one. Yeah. Uh, but my first classroom experience was through the Fertitta program. Um, and for those people not familiar, it's the military veterans come in over the summer and we learn stats and accounting in six weeks. So I was curious how you got involved in that program in the first place and maybe some of the challenges of teaching a group of us accounting in, in that short period of time when we have no background in it. Uh, so Raghu initiated that program and at inception, um, he asked me to teach in that program, and I've always been so grateful to be part of that program since inception. In terms of the group of students that I think I have made an impact, I would say the Fatidas, um, especially if they're transitioning into a business role from a non-business background. I love the fact that there's nothing else that you all need to focus on in that six weeks mm -hmm. other than learning accounting and stats. So... No, it was great. <laughs> and, and, and the other thing about being a three-hour class, accounting class, um, you all have incredible discipline and, and you were able to focus, I'm pretty sure, for more than three hours <laughs> uh, So uh, in battlefields. So in an accounting class is really trivial, <laughs> easy task to do. And always grateful that you all were so attentive and... And yeah, very happy to be part of the program. Yeah, and I think all of us collectively really enjoy having you because as you see in the more advanced classes, a good chunk of them are, are full of Fertitta veterans and uh, we, we tend to follow along. And I think we, we get the Yo specialization or the accidental yeah. accounting <laughs> specialization coming out of Stern. Yeah, I would even call you maybe the Yo fan club. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and you recruit people along the way, like, I was encouraged by many uh, veterans in our program to take classes with you. would definitely like to uh, capture a larger set of audience other than the vets, and, and I, I wish I had more exposure to, to non-accounting background students in core yeah. accounting. Yeah. You know, one thing I was thinking about, the 
veteran population tends to be more men, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of your classes and a lot of the uh, kind of your group of followers, if you will, tend to be a group of men. And I think that a lot of women could benefit from your classes as well, right? There's a small cohort of us, small but mighty, that are sitting there trying to, uh, you know, advance our skills in, in finance and accounting and it was something that I was intimidated by coming into business school, and it's great to have so many different courses that help you get a little bit deeper and more comfortable with this material. So I wonder if there's a way to, to reach out to that population as well. I would very much like to reach out to that population, and considering that I think more than half our intakes are now women, mm-hmm. um, and there's a, a pre-course uh, seminar or conference where, where I can speak about accounting, I'll be happy to participate. Yeah, maybe a collaboration with SWIB. I mean, just yeah. spitballing ideas here, but I'm sure there's a way to do that. So oh, yeah. We should think about that. All right. So in addition to being an accounting professor, you are also an Instagram famous cook, <laughs> chef. Oh, oh, uh, the statement of Instagram famous is questionable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have a beautiful Instagram account. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's carefully curated. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your passion for cooking, where it came from, um, what drives, you know, the the curation of, the, of this Instagram page that you have? Yeah, so... Uh, Disclosure, <laughs> disclaimer, disclosure. <laughs> uh, since I don't have kids, so I do have time to devote to things that I'm interested in. Uh, the whole cooking thing came about because I really wanted to make it habitual and really trying to save money uh, after knowing how much I spent at restaurants. And it, here's where I think occupational hazard, I try to find ways to keep myself accountable. Um, for me at the time when I set up the account is to make sure that I post regularly mm. and having friends and family actually monitoring my progress. And that was my way of being accountable, <laughs> <laughs> trying to make it habitual. And But, you know, the process has been incredibly fun in a sense that it, it has become an outlet where I can... I can exercise my creativity. Um, I'm, I've gone through various, uh, one would say, point of views when it comes to culinary pursuits. Um, yeah, it's been very gratifying. And you did French Culinary <laughs> Institute, right? <laughs> Formerly known as French Culinary Institute. I think they changed the name so many times ever since. Uh, I did. I did the, uh, so I pretty much did the technique series. Um, there's six levels in total. One, two, threes, where you pretty much get the techniques done. Then four to six, you work at the restaurants. Since I never had the intention to work at the restaurants, I was happy that I've completed all the technique series. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to, like, take it up to that next level? Here's where I, I guess, um, since I don't have kids, here's where, you know, I, I pursue my passion. And, and at the time, it was from the fact that I bought a new apartment has a brand new kitchen. I would like mm. to use it more often. Started taking a lot of, lots of recreational classes, and one thing led to another. I thought, hey, I might as well get the former training. <laughs> That's it. But what's interesting is that my cooking really didn't get better until I forced myself to pose regularly when I forced myself to cook regularly. Practice makes perfect. (laughs) Are you more of a kitchen gadget lover or are you someone who only gets things that have multiple uses? 
Excellent questions. Uh, do I buy kitchen gadgets despite it not being versatile, just only have one, only has limited use? I'm guilty of that. But um, <laughs> uh, I collect kitchen gadgets, uh, sure. But uh, for me, here's the thing about I do believe in how how technology can advance our well-being and and all these gadgets. Hey, it, if it makes my life easier, simpler, um, being able to get food out quicker, why not? Do you have a favorite kitchen gadget? Oh yes. Oh, <laughs> multiple. <laughs> we can't just name one. We're gonna find during the podcast that I have great difficulty choosing. <laughs> and if I don't have to choose, I'm not gonna choose. Uh, so when it comes to protein, sous vide, favorite go to mm. my air fryer. I, I use the air fryer very often, almost daily. You know what? I really want an air fryer, but having a small New York City kitchen, that has not made it on the list yet of the essentials, but maybe a move out to the suburbs and you a bigger should, kitchen. You should try a sous vide. I love our sous vide because wow. it's small. So it's like this big. Really? Yeah. And just not coming put in a pot. <laughs> yeah, you, it's, it's a great kitchen gadget for small apartments. And it, it salmon is my favorite out of the sous vide. It, it makes it perfectly so easy, cool. perfectly cooked very easy every single time wow all right yeah restaurant quality meat protein at, at home i'm sold or having <laughs> the right gadget it's all about having the right gadget <laughs> along the theme of difficult choices do you have a favorite cuisine to cook <laughs> i know <laughs> you know I, I struggle with choosing and and here's where it, Different nights, you may have different moods, so so why limiting yourself to one type? And I might have told the story of uh, when I first started posting, whenever there's an Asian fusion, I get most likes, and somehow I'm the authority when it comes to Asian fusion, um, <laughs> despite not being trained in Asian cuisines. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy exploring Asian spices, and so I try to incorporate some twist to it. Um, and also where I grew up, Perth. Perth is very close to Asia, uh, Perth, Australia. So because of its proximity to Asia, the Asian, cuisines, Asian cuisine was pretty much a prominent um, food type that I grew up with. And I really liked that bold flavors for Southeast Asian cuisine. Um, sometimes I, when I'm homesick, I still crave for those spices. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I would say that, that if I must choose one, that would be it. So you said it gets the most likes. Do you look at the analytics on Instagram <laughs> to figure out what's popular? Yeah, are, you, are you trying to optimize the uh, number of likes? <laughs> uh, yeah, one cut. Well, we talk about monetizing products or commercial commercializing your innovations, and here's where I think at some point this this should be kept as a hobby, as as mm -hmm. my passion project. I really don't want it to make it about work. Um, sure, I do look at the likes, and I do look at the haters' comments. Um, <laughs> They're plenty. <laughs> um, on a cooking blog? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Misspelling an ingredient, not naming an ingredient, uh, something, mis something sort of not in sim perfect symmetry. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that it all came back to why am I doing this? Is for me. Tying this back to accounting, do you see overlap there, or is this more of a 
distraction from that and a way to decompress? Uh, so I think it's crucial for us to to find things that, that we can, uh, to cope with stress. That's mm -hmm. it. And for, for many of us, is either go to the gym, exercises, uh, paint. Uh, for me, here's where I think the accounting professor or the, the, the economic side is coming through saying that we all have to eat, might as well just make it part of what I do that I enjoy. And since we all have to eat, I'm not doing anything that is more than what we need to do to survive. <laughs> and you make it beautiful along the way. Oh, Absolutely. that's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tie back to accounting, uh, maybe it's not beautiful, but uh, certainly I strive to, to, to have it balanced. Uh, yes. When it comes to flavors, <laughs> uh, yeah. When it comes to plating the aesthetics, they. I hope, yeah. Balance might be a word that comes to mind. Mm. <laughs> I like that. So, could you tell us a little bit about your jazz hobby as well? <laughs> uh, sure. I've been playing. I've been playing the keyboard piano since the age of four, and I just never stopped. Uh, when I first moved to New York, what was interesting is I, I went to some open mics and someone saw me, a, a club manager saw me and said, hey, if you put together a band, we'll book you. Um, and and uh, once you know one musicians, you really know them all. <laughs> so that's how I ended up getting on the jazz scene. Yeah. I since I was a pianist since four, I know pitch, and um, I wasn't formally trained as a singer. I I just did it. <laughs> uh, had I known what I know now, would I have done it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my venture into jazz. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun in life, right? Outside <laughs> work. I mean, I feel like so many of us these days just work, 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 and we forget that we are working to be able to live, right? Not living to work, but you've, you've got work and you're, you're definitely passionate about it, right? You can feel that energy in the classroom, but you've got these amazing hobbies and passions outside of work as well. Such a rich life that you're living. That is very kind, but I, I think the downfall, the criticism that I would have for myself is, why am I making all my passion about work? <laughs> At some point, you know, posting on Instagram or, or my, my jazz outputs or CDs, uh, albums that I put out. Yeah, they will work. <laughs> yeah. Just right. in, in different forms. <laughs> yeah, and it's tough to balance that. Like, how much do you stress over that output when it's just a hobby versus how much do you do it just to get enjoyment out of it? Yeah. I think that's true for almost every hobby, right? Is yeah. At some point you make that decision, do I want to monetize this? Do I want to stress out about it or it? Yeah. You, you kind of lose that, or the the reason why you picked it up originally. Sure. Yeah, and it's so hard these days to avoid getting sucked into the hustle culture, right? right? Everything's digital, so it's so easy to say, "Well, I'll just record this song and put it on Spotify because they make it easy, and maybe I'll make a little bit of money." And the next thing you know, you're down this rabbit hole and stressing out about it, and it's not fun anymore. So definitely a, a hard line to tell. Yeah, and for me. Uh, I always ask, do I have something unique, new to say? If I don't, I don't need to say it. Do you have any advice either 
for your students that are graduating in just a few weeks and life advice, career advice, anything like that? Or do you have any advice for the prospective and incoming students, many of whom listen to this podcast? What's interesting, Heather, you pointed out that in terms of population, students that take my class, and it's over an index on men because of the fatigue, and, and I really hope that would change. Mm-hmm. And over the, over the years, because... And, and what I do like about non-grade disclosure is that people are going and t- taking courses that that perhaps they didn't think they have a strength in, but ended up really enjoying it. And I really hope that financial statement analysis and and similar class accounting based valuation is what what they would think they they can gain a lot of benefit out of, um, but don't really feel comfortable going into. Yeah, I had a boss before coming to business school who gave me the advice to get comfortable with finance and that ultimately later in life if I'm at a C-suite table or something of that nature, having a voice at that table, I need to know finance. And she said, especially as a woman, and I think this is true for anyone in any minority group, right, um, that you might be doubted, but being able to speak confidently and, and know the subject matter and be able to speak up about the financial discussions that are going on is so crucial. So I really, I really also encourage anyone who's listening who might fall into any of those categories, take any or all of Yo's classes. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious about the first question I asked, though. Oh, yes. The reason why I'm reluctant in answering that is, is I do I consider myself to be wise enough to impart wisdom <laughs> other than other than what I would like to see is for those who are graduating and, and those who will be graduating after you graduate, you are happy with what you're doing. That's a great way to, to wrap it up. It definitely is. <laughs> so, Professor, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a, a real pleasure. Oh, no, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Wonderful.